Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What are some of the doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that you cannot find in the Book of Mormon? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. In yesterday's show, we reintroduced a quote from the founder of the LDS Church, Joseph Smith, who said that he told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth, the keystone of our religion, and a man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. The reason why this becomes of interest to us is because if I take Joseph Smith's words for what I think those words mean, I would walk away thinking that everything that I need in order to get nearer to God, and that's the phrase that he uses, can be found in the Book of Mormon. Now, there have been other statements that seem to point in that direction. And as I mentioned yesterday, a statement by Joseph Fielding Smith, where he talks about the Book of Mormon containing the fullness of the gospel and that this is to be understood as all the ordinances and principles that pertain to the exaltation in the celestial kingdom. Now, some of the things that we are going to be looking at today and in following days may not be considered something that a Latter-day Saint must absolutely believe and or do in order to be exalted. But if you are investigating the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and your neighbor or your LDS friend gave you a copy of the Book of Mormon and said, here, read this, this will tell you all about what we believe, wouldn't you want to know that before you join In other words, if you've read the entire Book of Mormon, as we've said, you're not going to find a lot of the unique teachings that are taught by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Scholars don't deny this. They will admit it does not contain a lot of the doctrines of the LDS Church. My question is, if these doctrines have any importance at all, Why wouldn't they be in there? Because this is supposed to reflect the beliefs and understandings of an ancient people who lived in the Western Hemisphere, primarily the Nephite people. And of course, it mentions also the Lamanites, but the Lamanites in the Book of Mormon narrative are most often described as being, I guess you could say, the bad guys. It's not that the Nephites were good all the time. They had certainly their shortcomings, but they more reflected what you would think the true church, as understood by most Latter-day Saints, would have believed at the time. My question is, is if these doctrines have any importance at all, why do we not see any hints of these doctrines in the Book of Mormon. And what I mean by hints, I'm not talking about vague words that are reinterpreted later on by some LDS scholar. I'm talking about at least an understanding with some clarity that we can see that these people, if they really existed, believe things that were close to what modern Latter-day Saints believe today. Let me give you an example. 
The Book of Mormon does not have anything to say, for instance, that God, the one they refer to as Heavenly Father or Elohim, was once a man who in turn also had a father, etc. Joseph Smith taught that there is an infinite regression of gods. Now, certainly that would contradict what Christians believe. We believe in a God who is the primary cause of all things. Latter-day Saint theology does not have a God like that. The God that they believe in is not the first God. He is a God that came about much later on. How later on, we don't know. But Joseph Smith gave a sermon, and it's called The Sermon in the Grove. This was a sermon that he gave on June 16, 1844. First of all, there was a prayer by Newell K. Whitney, and then they sang us, the choir sang a song called Mortals Awake. Now, on page 473 of the documentary History of the Church, that would be the blue volume, this is volume six. On page 473, it says, President Joseph Smith read the third chapter of Revelation and took for his text first chapter, sixth verse. Quoting, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Joseph Smith apparently said that it is altogether correct in the translation. Now, what he was citing was the King James version of the Bible. And he says that this version apparently, was correct in the translation. Now, what's interesting about that is if you were to look at the Joseph Smith translation of Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it doesn't read the same way. It actually says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God, comma, his father, and hath made us kings and priests unto God, comma, his father. Why is that important? Because Joseph Smith is going to zero in on the word and, and he's going to draw a completely different conclusion by the word that is found in the King James and make it sound as if the God mentioned in Revelation chapter 1 had a father, and of course, that is not what Christians have ever believed, but yet this is what Joseph Smith said. He says on page 476 of the History of the Church, if Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and John discovered that God the Father of Jesus Christ had a father, you may suppose that he had a father also. Where was there ever a son without a father? And where was there ever a father without first being a son? Whenever did a tree or anything spring into existence without a progenitor? And everything comes in this way. Now, this wasn't just an odd statement made by Joseph Smith that was forgotten in the annals of time because we find Joseph Fielding Smith comments on this statement that Joseph Smith made. And to show you that I'm not taking Joseph Smith out of context, why don't you read for our listeners, Eric, what Joseph Fielding Smith said in his book, The Doctrines of Salvation. This is volume one, page 12. 
Let me ask, are we not taught that we as sons of God may become like him? Is not this a glorious thought? Yet we have to pass through mortality and receive the resurrection and then go to perfection just as our father did before us. The prophet taught that our father had a father and so on. Is not this a reasonable thought, especially when we remember that the promises are made to us that we may become like him? So what Joseph Fielding Smith is doing is he's making reference to the very sermon that I just cited, and that is what's known as the Sermon in the Grove that was given on June 16th, 1844. This would be one of the last sermons, the last well-known sermon at least, that Joseph Smith ever gave because he would be killed at Carthage Jail on June 27th, 1844. Now, you would think that this doctrine, if it's that important, and apparently it is because it's talking about the person of God himself, why is it that we don't see anything like this in the Book of Mormon? In fact, we find a teaching that is quite the opposite of what Joseph Smith seems to be teaching, and that's found in Moroni chapter 8, verse 18. Moroni 8.18 says, For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. That is language that sounds very similar to what we find in Psalm 90, verse 2. Beginning with verse 1 in Psalm 90, it says, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That seems to be the God that the Nephites worshipped. They did not seem to be worshipping at all this God who had a father, who was the offspring of a God, who also had a father, and so on. Now think about this. If Joseph Smith is telling us the truth, then what do we do with the phrase in the book of Genesis where it says, in the beginning, God? Because if Joseph Smith's understanding of God is true— that would mean that he was first a mortal being before he became a god. Now, how does this work? If Mormonism is true and you must first be a mortal human being before you can ever hope to become an eternal god, eternity in the future, that would mean in the beginning was man. That doesn't seem to make any sense at all, because you would have to be first human before you can become a god. How does that even work? How does a man in the beginning start all this? And I know that they don't really have a story for how it all started. They just want to use this infinite regression of gods. God is the offspring of another god who was once a man, who's the offspring of another god who was once a man going into eternity past. And they kind of tell us this as if, well, you just have to believe it. Don't analyze it just believe it. Well, I know a lot of Latter-day Saints may believe that, but as a Christian, I want to understand the workings behind this theology. And it doesn't seem to work. It most certainly seems to conflict with the Bible. If the church does not, in fact, have a primary cause, then what does it have? Well, I think the answer is quite simple. If Joseph Smith is telling the truth, we have to go back to man being the origin, which of course is an absurdity for most of us as Bible-believing Christians. 
It also doesn't mention that God has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. Now, that is found in Doctrine and Covenants, section 130, verse 22. But John 4.24 very clearly teaches us that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Are we supposed to believe what Joseph Smith tells us in section 130, verse 22, that God has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's? Even though the Bible seems to contradict that notion, would you be safer putting your trust in Joseph Smith, or would you be safer in putting your trust in the New Testament? Many Latter-day Saints, of course, have been led to believe that our Bible has been corrupted. Is this one of those verses that has been corrupted? How would a Latter-day Saint prove this? They certainly can't prove it from the ancient manuscripts that we have from which we get John 4.24. So how would they argue that? Well, the way they would probably argue it is, well, our Latter-day prophets have said this, and because we are supposed to believe in Latter-day Revelation— We're going to go with the Latter-day Revelation, because some leaders have actually said that Latter-day Revelation trumps not just the Bible, it even trumps the teachings of past Latter-day prophets in the Mormon Church. You can imagine how confusing that must be to many Latter-day Saints. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.